This episode is brought to you by the vaccine. Y'all better be getting those shots. Welcome back, everybody, to My Fave Queer Chemist. I'm your host, Beck. And I'm Geraldo, and we're really excited for today's episode. We interview an amazing chemist and activist, and we can wait for y'all to listen to it. So with that, here's our show. Today, we are really excited to introduce to y'all to an incredible scientist and activist. Would you mind introducing yourself? Uh, yeah. Hi, everyone. My name's uh, Irving Reddig. Uh, my pronouns are he and they. I am a fifth-year PhD candidate at Portland State University, uh, and I got my undergrad at Pitzer College in Claremont, California. Um, and right now, I am researching uh, sort of main group photochemistry and catalysis under uh, the direction of Dr. Teresa McCormick at Portland State University. Nice. 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 So exciting. Yeah. (laughs) So let's just start from the beginning, I guess. (laughs) Can you tell us about your experience as an undergrad at Pitzer and then how you develop your interest in chemistry? And right before we started recording, you were telling that the chemistry people were a very small group. So how also, how was that part of your experience too? Yeah, my uh, my undergrad experience was really phenomenal. So Pitzer College is a PUI, and uh, that meant, you know, was just really a lot of emphasis on uh, undergraduate research, undergraduate involvement in sort of a lot of different levels of the institution itself, academic and, and extracurricular, I guess. Um, and so, you know, I really, it was there that I sort of really got to explore doing chemistry research and then also um you know like leading backpacking trips uh with (laughs) with other grads and so it was just like a really awesome opportunity to kind of see oh I don't you know I don't necessarily have to be uh you know isolated to doing one thing 100% of the time Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I really loved it Pitzer is the sort of the sort of internal joke of Pitzer College is uh, that it's Camp Pitzer. Um, it's just like a very fun, awesome, very, you know, like wooey educational environment. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of, you know, sort of like create your own major liberal arts types. Mm-hmm. Um, so that school in particular didn't draw a ton of STEM people, at least when I was there. And so the STEM sort of camaraderie that I found at Pitzer was this perfect perfect mashup of these like really funny funky hippy dippy people that were also really really rigorously involved in in research so I loved that so much mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's so cool that you can like they they don't force you to do only research which like other schools like or not force you know but like it's expected that's the only thing that you would do mm-hmm. it's, it's not it's nice to do other things too yeah, it sounds like a very unique undergrad experience. Even like, sounds very, so like I come from a liberal arts school also. Um, I went to a POI for undergrad and it, that even sounds like so different than like the, probably the normal like liberal arts experience too. Like what you're saying about how it's like way more like social sciences oriented and uh-huh. way less STEM involvement. But yeah, I, I imagine that you must've gotten a lot of like hands-on mentoring and support too, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was cool because I think each of the schools is really oriented towards a different subject. Mm -hmm. And so it really, the sort of 
underlying vibe of the school comes through with every student, even if they're studying something different. And so mm -hmm. I actually ended up barely taking any classes at Pitzer uh, because I was a STEM major and I didn't offer many STEM courses, but oh. we had a joint science department with two mm -hmm. of colleges. And then I also actually took a lot of uh, courses at Harvey Mudd, which is oh, yeah. sort of a, like computer science engineering oriented school. Mm -hmm. and, you know, so I got the best of both worlds. I got to, you know, like it wasn't required to wear shoes on my campus. And then also, yeah. And then also I got yeah. to like, you know, take these really incredible, very difficult uh, chemistry yes. courses, Harvey Mudd. So it was a really cool experience. Yeah. That's awesome. Cool. So before starting graduate school, you worked as a research assistant at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art. That sounds like such a non-traditional job. Can you tell us about how you ended up working there and what your research composed of while you were there? Yeah. Um, so when I was in undergrad, I actually uh, was an intern at a pharmaceutical company in a process organic chemistry lab. And I liked components of that and then also didn't like other components of that. <laughs> uh, and, you know, as I was, I guess it was after I graduated, um, I, you know, I had spent probably about two years in total uh, working as a independent contractor for this, for this research group. And it was, you know, it was cool, but it was, you know, inside of a cement box, mm -hmm. inside of a cement box in a basement. And uh, yeah. I, yeah, and I, you know, I knew that at the time that I wanted a bit more sort of community in my lab setting. And I actually come from an artist family. My mom is a glass artist. And it was sort of just by happenstance that I discovered uh, conservation science. There was a program with Scripps College, which is one of the Claremont consortiums, where you could double major in art conservation and chemistry and my yeah my organic lab partner she was in that program and I thought it was really interesting and I was like you know wow I just that just sounds like a really hard field to get into mm -hmm. and I you know as I was finishing up uh with this pharmaceutical company I I had done a lot of research about sort of conservation positions I had applied to a lot of different lab settings but they were really looking for people who had a conservation background and I'm like a little bit old school in that I actually like talking on the phone. If it's expected, if you call me, I have no. Yeah. But, you know, like to order a pizza, like the fastest way is to call them. And so I was like, well, the fastest way. I could never. I could never either. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I called the conservation lab mm -hmm. and I explained that, you know, I had a chemistry background. I had experience with this instrumentation and I was really interested in, you know, interning at a, you know, at a museum and that mm -hmm. this museum, LACMA, was one of very small number of museums in the United States that has a full conservation science program. And the my boss, who at the time was what, a 75-year-old German polymer chemist, <laughs> said, you know, like, oh, great, we need more of you you know, can you interview <laughs> like next week? Oh my and so, God. Yeah. So I went down there. We like really hit it off. Mm -hmm. The lab there was really awesome. It was actually, aside from the boss, um, the lab was all cis women 
And that was the first time I'd ever, I mean, going from, from being at a pharmaceutical company mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, my, my boss had Latinx heritage, but then the 30 other PhD chemists on my team were all cis heterosexual white men. Yeah. Who, yeah. Yeah. Who just railed on all PhD programs as completely useless. Um, it was really awesome to suddenly be in the setting of women who were all really passionate about getting me excited for grad school, even though that wasn't really necessarily something that was, I had seen as a trajectory for me because yeah. surprise, I have terrible imposter syndrome and was convinced <laughs> I was not smart enough to go to grad school. <laughs> yeah that's that's such an interesting like I I don't think I've ever met anybody like any chemist who's ever even dabbled in like art Mm -hmm. conservation like that's such a cool I don't know experience I'm sure it was so much fun Mm -hmm. but yeah think about it it makes sense but yeah yeah (laughs) yeah and I really liked a lot of components of it and then really disliked other components of it and right now I'm in inorganic photochemistry. Yeah. <laughs> I think from that, I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it. We have this very cool research project that um, my focus was studying degradation of resins and varnishes. Mm-hmm. And there, I learned this really interesting thing, which was that, uh, you know, that LED it was the first time that I started actually working with photochemistry. And, but it was actually in the context of trying to, uh, show that certain types of LEDs actually degrade varnishes and resins because of the blue fluorophores that they put in them to make mm-hmm. them look more white adjacent. And it turns out that it yeah. just like destroys paintings and destroys varnishes. And so that was kind of That's the first. so interesting. It is very interesting. Yeah, it was yeah. the first like, very organic, you know, mm-hmm. Or- mm-hmm. radical degradation of these, you know, tree resins was the first kind of foray into photochemistry that I had that's so cool yeah and so going along with that you then moved to Portland State for your grad studies um how has been your experience as an LGBTQ plus grad student there so far yeah it's uh (laughs) it's been really interesting um I think that you know I actually applied to Portland State as on the direction of those uh women at LACMA uh Mm -hmm. there was actually a professor here who did uh, museum chemistry research and then it turned out that the project that I was interested in working on fell through and and I ended up working for the right PI the PI that is you know has been advocating for the LGBTQ community as a cis heterosexual woman since her undergrad and uh and that I really I think that the the Portland State Chemistry Department has grown a lot because of my presence. <laughs> <laughs> we love to see it. Yeah, we love to see it. It's amazing. Yeah, I, they, you know, they just didn't, they hadn't, at least what I've been told is that they have never had an out trans graduate mm-hmm. student before. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, they were really willing to listen to the feedback that I had. At least the people who were willing to listen to the feedback I had sort of tried their best to figure out what, how they could support me. Um, Mm -hmm. And there was a bit of fumbling, but I think that, you know, I luckily at at Portland State, really the the professors are um, well-intentioned. And that that well-intentioned has brought them to where they're at today, which is Mm -hmm. implementing really, really awesome, you know, sort of 
trainings, anti-racism training, LGBTQ right. training um, that professors at Portland State now are not professors at Portland State, professors at in the Portland State Chemistry Department of all places are, you know, are getting. And I and I think that they they sort of were in the state of a lot of departments in, in which it's just they were just sort of waiting for somebody to have a marginalized identity to tell them what to yeah, do. To, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 In and of itself. But mm-hmm. yeah. But it's very important that they actually listen because like some departments think that just by having, for example, trans students is enough, mm-hmm. but you actually have to like ask them and listen, you know, what is that, you know, we need or they need. Or... Yeah. So it's good that they're willing to listen and actually do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, it took a little bit of time to like train them how to listen properly. But yeah. then one thing, it was good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, it's incredible just like thinking about like all of the queer trans chemists who have like joined that department, like since you started, like you're ending your PhD, which we'll talk a little bit about, but like, you know, how far your department has come, I'm sure mm-hmm. in the last like five years or so. And like how you've done a lot of like the laying of the groundwork for like future queer and trans people yeah. who end up joining the department, which was really awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I I really think that they're prepared because Portland is such a safe place for trans people. There's so yeah. much access to healthcare. Mm-hmm. There's so much access to, you know, like having a trans, you know, from having a trans therapist to having a trans barista. There's trans yeah. people everywhere. And I think that, you know, one of the really amazing things that came out of those, you know, sort of discussions that my PI and I had with, you know, with departments members is that you know they were saying that when they were selecting graduate students this year typically they try not to choose folks who are local because oh. uh you know they they urge that so that they like they leave Portland mm-hmm. and they do other things but then the narrative that Portland is actually one of the safest cities for a, a trans yeah. academic mm-hmm. got in there and they took that off mm-hmm. of the sort of sort of docket list um that they yeah. would usually you know stamp down certain applications and not so I mean it's mm-hmm. it's tangible and that's exciting yeah that so that's exciting. great so you recently submitted your dissertation which is very very exciting um what's next for you thanks <laughs> <laughs> um I'll be postdocing with uh Dr. Miriam Bowring at Reed starting this summer so, oh, nice. so you'll be staying in Portland right Reed's in Portland yeah that's mm-hmm. awesome. That's so exciting. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to one working with them and two getting to stay in the city a little bit longer. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So you are by all accounts a very well established trans activist in the STEM field. Can you tell us about how you got started with this activism work and has your own, you've talked a little bit about this, but has your own PI lab and department been supportive of your work through all of this? Yeah, uh, so I think I think really where I first got started, you know, was I mean again was just joining my PI's lab. She mm-hmm. actually started the Women in STEM group at Portland State University. Um, you know, I, sort of as a, as a need to commiserate with the like two other female faculty members and other female mm-hmm. graduates. Yeah. No. <laughs> And, uh, and the graduate student who is a cis woman in my lab, she, uh, and 
she was just a power femme you know like she wore heels in the lab uh it was just yeah it was amazing I really looked up to her (laughs) a lot and I really looked up to other the other power femmes that were in the department and I think that you know it was there that we sort of like learned to advocate for each other at the time I was sort of navigating the world as a closeted trans person who thought they were a butch lesbian and (laughs) um you know and then with these like very heterosexual very feminine women and Mm -hmm. sort of figuring out how we could advocate for each other's needs within women in STEM and I think really living in Portland is what allowed me to you know recognize my own identity and Mm -hmm. uh, when I then came out as as trans I uh, said to my advisor you know I really don't want to lose women's spaces because I really have gained a way of advocating for myself from these spaces. And I knew how a lot of women's spaces treated trans people. And I think it was from that initially that I really saw the sort of importance for advocating for trans people initially, just like in, in women's spaces in chemistry specifically. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I- you know I like worked with some of the first stuff that I did was I worked with the women chemist committee to sort of update their language around applications and Mm -hmm. award the you know explicitly say that you know when they're talking about these communities they're talking about non-binary folks um Mm -hmm. you know trans femmes and trans women and I think it was from you know really from there that I got into sort of the more general trans activism in STEM yeah Mm -hmm. that's awesome yeah I can relate a little bit to uh I think I like recently last year or so I've been mainly because I I think I've just like got a little bit more recognition from the just like being in the podcast like doing the podcast but I remember like the women in organic empower women in organic chemistry conference which like happens every year and has been happening for the past few years like I remember there was like whole thing last summer where I got invited (laughs) yeah where like yeah where I got invited to like speak at this LGBTQ thing in, in like at the conference and I was like well I'm not I'm not a woman. And so if you like actually want to be inclusive of non-binary and trans people, then like you have to make that explicit. Otherwise, like, how are we supposed to know that? And like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I worked a lot with like the, the, some of the organizers of that to kind of shape some of the language going forward and still not perfect, but yeah, it's just like a, like, we don't, as like LGBTQ people, we don't have a lot of our own spaces in chemistry mm-hmm. and so like you were saying sometimes you have to fit into existing spaces which a lot of times is like cis women-led initiatives mm-hmm. so that's been an yeah. interesting like learning learning curve for me and and for I'm sure a lot of cis women in organic chemistry and chemistry in general yeah because I think I mean you know because like ultimately yeah it's really important that this woman get behind trans inclusive feminism i.e regular feminism (laughs) because yeah because like you know there's there's you know the sort of like assumption of like oh well you know trans women don't belong here they're trans and then they get you know pushed out to some other they get pushed out with the expectation that there's a net waiting for them somewhere and it turns out there's yeah yeah, yeah it, it's but I mean it's good it's tough 
<laughs> to, to, you know, like have to reiterate and have to have those conversations, but yeah, I mean, it pays off. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for doing that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> so you are part of a group of transgender scientists who have been pushing for a more trans inclusive name change policies in big journals. Um, can you tell us about how this work got started and then how has it been? And is it like a tedious process to, to get your, your name changed on, on already published papers? Yeah, so I sort of first got started with this, I think it's 2021, probably like two years ago now. Wow. <laughs> uh, when I think that when I was first sort of figuring out how to talk to like the Women Chemists Committee within ACS, uh, I started just writing down things that I saw within ACS, not just publishing, but sort of all over ACS mm -hmm. that were hurdles for me. And so, you know, things like, uh, you know, there was, I think at the time was in 2019 or maybe it was 2018 when um, uh, Alison Campbell was president of ACS and she, you know, wrote she like wrote a series of letters to different states that were hosting ACS meetings mm -hmm. and specifically advocated for the relabeling of bathrooms to be, uh, to be genderless. And it was sort of, that was sort of the first large ACS initiative I'd ever seen that was just mm -hmm. outside of the, you know, professional division, yeah. mm -hmm, like small single room conference yeah. spaces. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, I was like, okay, well, that seems to be something that is being handled. Like, well, what about a bunch of other stuff? And one of the things that I had noticed was that I was just having a really hard time getting my name changed, like within membership even, mm -hmm. uh, you know? And so there's any, I just like it, that, that things felt weird. I wrote it down and then I was at a novel step conference and there was this queer person who does media justice and they gave a presentation on was the gender biases that exist in technology and where those surface, you know, and in that very, you know, short 30 minute talk that this person gave, I realized like, oh, this is a, a software problem. This is a mm -hmm. where the root of these systems problem. It isn't, you know, just like ACS accidentally fumbling with yeah. membership and and I sort of had this like very, you know, tunnel vision moment of like, oh, this is so much larger of a problem than I thought. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then it was that, it was sort of after that, that I started m making my own presentations that were ACS specific. This person was in um, sort of the like queer artificial intelligence community. Yeah. So I sort of took everything that I had written down and made them into this sort of demands list. And then anybody who was, you know, interested in saying they wanted to like support queer chemists or trans chemists. I just would email them this like really aggressive list. <laughs> and, and then I would, you know, I, we had regional conferences and I like signed up to host different events so that I could just be mm -hmm. given a mic and then no one would get to tell me what to say. And I could just say the thing that I wanted to say. And it turned yeah. out I'd had enough notoriety in these women's spaces that I started taking up the platform uh, at these women chemists events to start getting for trans people and at ACS. And yeah. when I got linked up with, um, I guess some folks who were like, that 
name change thing on papers, that's something that seems easy enough. <laughs> like, they, you know, why doesn't that already exist? And, you know, fast forward a year of me sort of just like shooting into the dark in lots of different directions. It was actually a Twitter post that, that got me in contact with Jess Rucker, who's the director of global operations at ACS. And from there, it's, it's been really fast. <laughs> so mm-hmm. fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they're interviewing a good time because I actually just met with, I mean, I meet monthly with the Committee on Publication Ethics, which is Ooh. the sort of large overarching organization that dictates ethics in publishing across every academic field. And yeah. we're getting ready. Yeah, we're getting ready to, uh, to, sort of finalize these guidelines on establishing name change policies, which mm-hmm. will allow journals that don't have their own policies to essentially shape their own or default to these uh, these ones that are were built by by right. the authorship. So yeah. that's been really incredible. And it was actually through, you know, surprisingly, I mean maybe not surprisingly, but ACS publications has been like the international leader mm-hmm. in name change policy on publications also in trans inclusive customer service around name change policies like mm-hmm. they are the ones setting the standard and they're the ones who are pushing the most for these like major 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 publishing reforms and i'm just super proud of the people that i work with because mm-hmm. you know they just have done a really good job listening to the trans community and just turning mm-hmm. it around and making stuff happen yeah that's amazing. That's so and cool. yeah, I mean, I, I can at least just kind of give my own anecdotal story, which I know you already know, or because I told you this, but um, I mean, I don't know how hard it was before to change your name must have been really hard for this to even be an issue. But and so maybe you have like a little bit of an idea of how it was like before all of these policies. But um, I remember just like hearing about all of this, like all of the work that you've done. We've heard you talk a few times now about this. Um, and so I was like, you know what? I want to just do it and change my name on my first publication, um, which is a first author publication for my undergrad in, I think, a bioorg and medicinal chemistry letters. And it's like under that it's a, paper, a journal under El- Elsevier, however you pronounce that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I like, you know, did some look in like a few weeks ago and I found out that literally like the week before they had changed their name the change policy. policy. Yeah. And it was just like a page on their website that was like, we now have this like trans inclusive name change policy. All you have to do is email this email mm-hmm. and we'll get it processed in 10 days or whatever. You don't have to provide any like explanation, any whatever. You just have to email this like one email address and you're set to go. So I just emailed them and I was like, hi, this is the citation for my paper. Can I change my name from this to this? And they emailed me like right back and they were like, yep, it'll take 10 days to process it and then it'll be changed. And I was like, it was that easy? But literally like the week before they had like changed it. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I guess it's not like fully, it's like those policies haven't fully gone through for like all journals, but I guess like a lot of the main ones, I guess for chemistry, now have updated policies and now it, it really is just as easy as saying hey change this to this mm-hmm. and that that's that that's great that's, um i'm so happy yeah. that it really well for you yeah, yeah. Although what policies really looked like before you could change your name 
on a past publication. But the assumption that they made was that the only reason that somebody would change their name other than marriage was like potential, like was potentially fraudulent. And so the way that they shaped their policies was like, like very extensive proof of identification. Also, you had to be completely transparent with the name change. And so what they would do is they would print a correction notice on the HTML at the very top of the article that said this author you know, like John Smith changed their name to Joe Smith. And so, which is fine for, you know, John Smith changing his name to Joe Smith, like presumably, but Mm -hmm. if it's somebody who is transgender, they're like, no, I don't include a tagline at the top of the research article that I wrote that outs me as trans. And that like says your dead name also, like. It also says your dead name, which is just not. Yeah. um, Yeah. And so that, that's like, if they would even allow you to do it in the first place, because oftentimes it would be like that it was up to the publisher whether or not they felt that the change merited, like that the reason merited the change. So they actually have 100% you had to give them reasoning and then there was no way out of the correction notice. That was an absolute no, it had to be on there. And so the oh, way- weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was made without thinking, thinking about, about, yeah. yeah at all trans and non-binary people or anybody who changes their name for any reason other than marriage mm-hmm. yeah uh, yeah and so you know when new when we were sort of shaping new policies it was very much like okay get rid of these things mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and figuring out you know like essentially you know how what is the way of doing this completely mm-hmm. anonymous so there is no like public notice yeah um, and then, you know, also like you don't, you know, explaining to publishers like you don't have a right to like this person's reasoning right. or yeah. their at all. Like you can maybe ask for their pronouns if that's pertinent to the publication itself. You can, you know, honestly, what you should do is like help them be able to update their name and other user profiles if if mm-hmm. that's your goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was it was it sucked before and now it's much better <laughs> yeah so, so just to be clear it's not like it, they don't submit a correction like you would do for a paper it's just you just upload a new document with the correct name mm-hmm. exactly That's, yeah, yeah. It, you know if you still they so essentially what they did is, is that a lot of journals they just added an additional policy and so mm-hmm. if you want and if you want to use the old way you totally can okay. um and you know, and but that that now instead of automatically publishing a correction notice, that the author it requires the express and validated permission of the author to right. do a notice, but the, that's not the default anymore. Yeah, but, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's amazing. So, do you have any advice um, for graduate students who want to make their advocacy work in in whatever advocacy work they do a central pillar of their time in graduate school? I know, like you know, that's it's a hard balance to find. I think Geraldo and I are finding that, like, to make sure that you're doing like your research and mm-hmm. your all of the other responsibilities of graduate school. Then, how do you fit in? kind of the work that you're really passionate about on top of your research. Do you have advice on that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the f- sort of the first thing is to either find an advisor that supports that or make your advisor be supportive of it, which is <laughs> hard thing to just say. Mm-hmm. I recognize that I'm like a bit outspoken and a bit angry at times. And so I, 
have to say what's on my mind or else like I'll implode. <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, sort of the first thing is to like, is like find a faculty member or even a postdoc that will help advocate for you. Yeah. Um, you know, because I think it, cause it is more work to mm-hmm. also take advocacy. I think that it's not a, you know, I don't want to like to, to sugarcoat it um, and say, you know, like my grad, I mean, actually, I think my grad school experience was easier having done advocacy work, but you, you, you know, it, it is something that also takes your time. And so Mm -hmm. if you're doing research and, you know, doing the things that you need to do to get your degree while also doing advocacy work, it's going to be, you know, just more hours. But I think that, you know, in terms of, of how to like, how to balance those things, I think that just treating it sort of like a research schedule like, you know, make sure that you are taking the opportunities that you have to sort of like reflect on what your goals are in mm-hmm. activism, um, you know, sort of, I, and then again, also, you know, not reinventing the wheel over and over again, finding organizations that support, you know, what you're trying to do or the voice that you're trying to cultivate to your, yourself also are really helpful. So, you know, within chemistry, um, you know, there's the GTCA, you can get uh, you know, even as a graduate student, you can, um, you know, occupy certain positions within the GTCA. I think the other thing, you know, even just within your own department, you know, advocating for folks to, you know, especially like at, at things like seminar or with like, you know, women in STEM or WCC events, you know, going into those spaces as a queer person and expressing the need to have an, you know, an out speaker that's talking about their chemistry or that's talking about, you know, queerness in, in chemistry as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that again, with my experience at PSU, it, nobody was like outwardly bigoted towards me in any way. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were just really apathetic and really sort of just like, you know, I'm down with the cause, but I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's, you know, a little, sometimes it's a little surprising, um, you know, just how much handholding you have to do, but mm-hmm. that really what a lot of departments are looking for is someone to say like, this is what we need. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the unfortunate issue that arises from that is then that they expect the trans and queer person to take up that work. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that there's enough of us, you know, around nowadays that, that who are all really interested and excited about activism Mm -hmm. you know you can do something collaborative Mm -hmm. you know yeah you're the only person you can find another queer person in your department and you know try to distribute the labor of bringing in a queer speaker you know between the two of you or you know sort of contacting even you know even things as little as like I will send out sort of like legislature Mm -hmm. or email templates for professors to sign and send to states that are undergoing anti-trans bills right now. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. really, they'll, you sort of have to like slide it right into their DMs, but but (laughs) they'll do stuff stuff if you ask them. Yeah. Yeah. And if they don't, then they're awful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but but I have to agree with you. Having API that supports you, it's like the best thing. Um, yeah, I have a I have a friend in, in my lab, Isaac Life, which we have had in the show, and I'm, I'm sure you know them. Um, they're like great uh, advocate and activists for trans uh, community, trans community, and they also do research on that. And so Melanie told them that that could be a part of their dissertation. 
so it's like cool. so crazy that you're a PhD student in chemistry and one chapter in your dissertation is about research in trans right you know that's like that's you so can, cool. it can get better, you know awesome. I love Melanie yeah. so much yeah she's like yeah. she's an amazing PI I love her so much yeah yeah and yeah and I mean I think that that you know that at least PIs who were going to change in the first place are changing right yeah, so yeah. people you know, kind of see the importance of having this, you know, melting pot of identities in chemistry and how that contributes to like the bettering of how it makes research better, yeah. you know, and how it makes lab communities better and how it makes collaboration better. That I think that those professors are recognizing the importance of that. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that then if you say like, hey, like I need a PI that will, I can CC on emails when I like send this uncomfortable thing or- yeah. I need like I need three PIs to put their names down when I invite this speaker to say that mm-hmm. they inviting the speaker or you know saying to your own PI or another PI you know I want to invite this person that went to your alma mater and like I want to invite them because they're going to talk about XYZ mm-hmm. queerness and and yeah. and yeah and I mean I think that you know asking you'd be surprised at the, the sort of people that will yeah uh, will help yeah, yeah 100%. 100%. So changing gears a little bit, who is your chemistry or science role model and why? And you can have more than one if you want. <laughs> okay, well, so it's sort of interesting because I have a few. I really, <laughs> yeah, honestly, like the people that I have worked with and will be, work, will be working with are people that I like really idolize in chemistry. So, you know, my PhD advisor, Teresa McCormick, she's like the smartest person I've ever met. She is, she's like navigating having two very young children as a PI, talking about and actually living the work-life balance that she preaches. And, you know, she is, she's just very like, you know, we talk about when we email back and forth, like, you know, she sends the exclamation, you know, professionalism is oppression like at the end you know you know like she's a lady (laughs) um and she used to curl for the state of Oregon so that's pretty cool (laughs) um also so my undergraduate advisor was uh is or I guess was and and as a friend of mine uh Dr. Nancy Williams we sort of established this very really wonderful and supportive relationship when I was working in her lab and she has been so open with me about her self and her life and her transition throughout, you know, my time as a chemist. I mean, she was the only trans person that I knew in chemistry up until like an ACS meeting three years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, and having, you know, the fact that I like literally had a trans mentor uh, as an undergrad was really, really yeah phenomenal and I think that it was her you know like you know she would teach inorganic and then would drive into downtown LA to go sing with like the trans choir and march in pride parade you know so cool that is really cool (laughs) oh my god really great I think you know Teresa like Dr. McCormick really sort of her very kind words are you know like don't don't get mad get manipulative like you know (laughs) yeah your anger to get what you want but like Mm -hmm. in a way that is you know that is like 
getting people on your side, not right. forcing their hand or making them not realize that you're forcing their hand. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Nancy really showed me that you could balance advocacy work and research together mm-hmm. at the same time. Um, and then I also, I mean, you know, I really also really, really look up to Miriam, Dr. Bowering, who I'm going to be working with. I think that they do phenomenal science. I really love weird kinetics and love weird kinetics and the fervor at which they just like scratch the itch of a single mechanism is like, ugh, that's (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, and then again, also they really, they advocate for their students and they advocate for Mm -hmm. uh, non-binary people at Reed uh, in a way that's, that's phenomenal. Uh, And I mean, I think that I also really look up to just like every single young PI at Reed College, Uh, a Mm -hmm. lot of them queer um, in the chemistry department. And I think that's really awesome. Um, and I think a sort of like unexpected one was, is, uh, uh, Dr. Allison Campbell. I met her when, when I was working with sort of organizing the Pacific Northwest regional meeting. Mm-hmm. And we met sort of personally to go grab like lunch and a beer on a couple occasions. And I really sort of told her about my insecurities around chemistry that I still don't think I'm smart enough that I sometimes have, uh, not necessarily regrets, but I get nervous about the fact that I went to an R2 to get my PhD that, Mm. you know, you know, this whole pedigree thing, I'm just not Mm. cut out for it. I can't work hard enough. I'm not dedicated enough, that sort of thing, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and she, she really just like gave me like the pep talk of a lifetime at this McMinimum bar. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just about like, if you stay within what you love and you figure out ways of motivating people to be passionate about their science or like working for you that you can, you know, you can take on any, any challenge. And so uh, I've really appreciated her she doesn't realize that she's had such a large impact on me, but she definitely, um, she's just like the really, you know, like just like big dyke energy, just like, <laughs> just like, I just really, Alison Campbell for president, really. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, I know she's already president, but maybe again. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I mean, and, and she has a passion for science that has allowed her to, you know, climb up the ranks of PNNL and now like runs an entire department there mm-hmm. um, and and I really you know look up to her for her leadership style and then also for her transparency around you know the sort of where she came from and 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 what she started out with and she's mm-hmm. really good at fighting the imposter syndrome um you know plus she's she's an athlete and I and I love that <laughs> amazing that's yeah that's that so sounds sweet. like you've had yeah sounds like you've had some really great pockets of people in your mm-hmm. life yeah. And, yeah yeah I I ran screaming out of that pharmaceutical lab I, I tell you <laughs> it was a really nice, amazing he was really really phenomenal and just like really kind and generous with his compliments uh and the other chemists that I worked with were uh really a bunch like a bunch of guys having their midlife crises and it was a lot and so I chose only to be with good mentors (laughs) strongly vetted mentors amazing (laughs) yeah 
Amazing. So last question, um, where can people follow you on social media if they would like to connect with you? Yes. Uh, okay, let's see if I can get this off the top of my head. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter as Irv underscore does underscore Kim. So Irv does Kim with underscores separating them. Yeah. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram, which is a more personal account, but it shows more of my, basically it's just me rock climbing or uh, the, the, the dog that I am on a long-term babysitting run for June is currently sleeping as we are doing this interview. Cute. <laughs> uh, so dog, dog Cute. and rock content. You can follow me at, uh, I think it's underscore, well, hang on. It's underscore wrinkles the clown underscore (laughs) 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 weird inside joke so maybe i'll just change it to at or does i'll just do that you can follow me at or does him and i think maybe that's done now (laughs) (laughs) that's funny yeah awesome well it was great chatting with you and hearing about some of the work and yeah yeah so nice yeah Yeah. thank you for me of course yeah i'm excited to join the passe yay (laughs) (laughs) yeah and thank you for this because this is like this is like i hope you recognize that this is actually thank you thank you i think yeah fun yeah but inactivism is fun in my opinion it's difficult at times but like Mm -hmm. this yeah this is some really historical activism that y'all got going on here so i appreciate it mm, thank you so thank much you. Uh, yeah thank you so much it was good talking to you yeah have a nice day you too bye all right bye we're about a month away from pride month and as we all know last year we celebrated pride on the podcast by featuring some incredible stem lgbtq plus scientists we'd love to hear y'all's ideas on who we should interview or what should we do to celebrate pride this year so send us your ideas at myfavequirkchemist at gmail.com. We hope that y'all are being safe and healthy and continuing to support each other during this pandemic. Please, please, please get your vaccine, y'all, to keep yourself and those around you safe. Remember to fill out the nomination form on our Twitter if you're interested in being interviewed for the show. You can follow us at MFQC Pod. Take care, everybody, and stay safe. We'll see you soon. Bye. Adios.